It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bear Boat Alaska, a pure DIY hunting game with one of their 37-foot adventure yachts. You and five of your friends can hunt, fish, set crab pots, shrimp pots, and take DIY to the next level. Bear Boat Alaska is locally owned by a Ketchikan resident who lives here year-round. Call Larry at 907-617-4542 or go to bearboatalaska.com. That's B-A-R-E boatalaska.com and tell Larry you heard about it on this podcast. Let's get rolling. So uh, Brad Brooks, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for being on here again. Good to see you, Jeff. So uh, you are the owner of Argali. Uh, you make uh, good films on YouTube. Uh, you're maker of excellent knives, game bags, things like that. But I'm not, I don't, your, your business model isn't great because you make quality items, which is uh, different than my cell phone that uh, is self-destructing, my laptop and everything else. You didn't get the memo about uh, disposable consumables being the way to go? I did not get that memo. I'm a, <laughs> well, you know me well enough at this point. You know, I, I, I eschew disposable items. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so you, we've been on uh, a couple times together. We've talked about kind of hunts in general. Another one we talked about uh, gear specifically, but I want to talk about films. I don't know why the last couple of months I've been really into outdoor films and more rather just watching them, kind of analyzing what I like and what I don't like about them. Um, mm. So I just kind of wanted to pick your brain about how you decide um, and how you determine w- what your films are going to be. So first of all, uh, with uh, – influences what did you watch growing up is there someone or some show that you thought man this is really done well i'm not going to try to copy it but this really influenced me as far as shots or as far as length um anything oh yeah good question um i watched uh, as a real young kid i uh, i think it was espn that used to have a lot of uh fishing fishing shows so do you remember there was a show called walker's cake chronicles does that, ever, does that ring a bell at all? Um, I'm blanking on the guy's name now, but I can remember the cine- the cinematography and the quality of that show was very different than a lot of things that were on uh, hunting and fishing media that, that I used to love watching. It was it was less of like the shoot 'em up, let's you know you know shoot a fenced in kind of buck type. Uh, program which i think is, is pretty common in the hunting world and they really focused on really really interesting stories about really interesting places and every time i have vivid memories of watching that show and just being like man i really want to go check out that place so i i don't know that i've ever thought about how influential like that show and there are probably some others as well um were on me but that connection to place which is a lot of what we do now was always so much more interesting and alluring to me as a consumer of media even mm-hmm. as a young young kid um I'm trying to think what else i watched i didn't 
man, at that point in time, it was all, you know, I just turned, I just turned 40, Jeff. So when I was, when I was young, when I was a kid, there wasn't, I mean, the internet wasn't a thing. Mm -hmm. You couldn't go on YouTube and watch anything. It was all on cable news TV. We didn't have, I'm not even sure if the sportsman's channel was around, but if it, if it was, my parents, you know, weren't paying for it. We had basic cable. And so that really relegated you to, I think it was ESPN was the channel that showed most of, and it was, it was Saturday morning. You could watch, uh, Jimmy Houston, uh, not Jimmy Houston, Jimmy Houston, who's the guy who used to kiss the bass? Um, with the Tennessee hat? Yeah. Um, I don't know who you're Not talking Jim. about. He's he's an he's an icon in uh, in bass icon. fishing and in fishing yeah. and in fishing shows. I can't think of his name though. Yeah, um, but he's he was entertaining. The thing I always liked about him was just what a what a character he was. And he, I didn't. I mean, I I fished uh, for bass a little bit growing up, uh, but I wasn't. It wasn't like my sole purpose in life. Uh, I was like, oh man, I want to catch bass. I did have dreams of being a professional bass fisherman when I was really young, probably because of him. But he was a really interesting person and a really interesting character. And so I think both of those things, both the Walker's Cape Chronicles, the the connection to place, uh, Flip, that was the guy's name from Walker's Cape Chronicles, Flip, like you know, his last name. Um, but both of those things, so connection to place and then people are what make a good piece of you know, content that I was really interested in. Yeah. I, I think it's an important distinction. I'm not sure if you meant it intentionally, but a person rather than a host, I think sometimes when it's a host of a show, it becomes about the host. And sometimes some shows look like it's, they're casting this character rather than this actual person. And Bill dance is the guy with, uh, with the Tennessee hat. And um, he, he seems like the type of, of uncle or grandfather who would kind of ham it up. That just seemed like who he is. And so it was yeah. just him being him and it was a cool show. And yeah, he was a host of a show. Um, but I think that's an important, uh, important thing to keep in, keep in mind. So when you started shooting, what type of person did you want to be or like your protagonist in a story? How did you develop yourself or how did you think, all right, well, I don't really feel comfortable doing, you know, camera in my own face, but I have to do it for the show. This is the look that I want. I'm going to do some, some voiceovers too. Um, and I'm going to write them out first, or I'm just going to kind of wing it. Uh, how do you decide, uh, how you integrated yourself into your films? Oh gosh. Um, you can tell this all makes you very uncomfortable. Heaters. I'm throwing heaters, man. You know, I know you are. I know I, it, it, to be super honest, it makes me really uncomfortable thinking about it because it, I, I didn't really approach it from the standpoint of um, thinking about how do how do I want to come across or how do I want my personality to come across. It was it just is what it is. Um, I I never really intended for to to be a focal point in all of our content. It was more that I had a an idea of what I wanted to, the stories that I wanted to tell. And I didn't know if people, anybody would care or like them. And it was never about me. It was about the, the focal point, especially for our early work was about me wanting to tell a story that I thought was interesting from my own perspective. And I don't know how to have somebody else do that. It's really hard to hand that off to somebody to articulate the type of story that you're trying to tell. 
So I didn't know. I mean, there were no other options. Maybe is the best way to explain it, Jeff. Um, you know, only you, Jeff Lund, can tell your story, and I feel like I can tell my story, and other people can tell their stories. But it wasn't a conscious decision around trying to tell a story and create a character. I think people um, might be like incredibly disappointed when they meet me in person to realize like what you see is what you get. What you see on film is literally the exact same way I am. Like there's no difference. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. It's not a facade. There's a, I'm not, you know, I'm not cooler in real life. Um, I'm as mundane as I am in real life as I am in our, in our content. Um, so one of the same. Yeah. I think that's an important thing too. I, it, and just because I don't like something doesn't mean that it's bad, but I think the people who, and I don't know exactly what it is, but there's just a feeling you get some people, um, are out there attempting to look authentic and attempting to look that like the type of person who doesn't like the camera, but you can sense that they do. Um, and I don't know what it is. And again, I am not here to, to talk trash about anybody in, specifically, but I think there's just a different feeling. I think that the appeal of, of you and, and Corey Jacobson and, and guys like that are, they almost look reluctant, reluctant, but they're excited to tell the story. And I think that's one of the, that's a real authenticity um, that you don't get uh, if you're just trying to create a character or trying to get views, you're trying to sell products. So that's a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good thing. Well, that's a high compliment coming from you. I appreciate that. Um, it is really hard to, um, I, I think that authenticity comes across, you know, when you're, when you're in uh, watching something, I try, we, I try to be just, as normal as, as I possibly can, because I don't know, I don't know how to act. I'm not an actor. <laughs> um, so I wouldn't know what to do if I was trying to put on a, uh, a facade. Um, I think anytime we're creating a piece of content, I try and just make it as like normal and relatable to your average person as possible. Mm -hmm. And I want people to get a sense that they are along for the ride with us or they're on the trip with us. So one of the things I've heard from, from the self-filming that I do is people like that they feel like they're there with me. Mm -hmm. And it's a really interesting thing because when I'm, when you're by yourself or especially for extended periods of time, um, the camera, it does feel like even though you're talking to nothing, there's no response. There's no, like when you talk to a person, you, can, you know, they can talk back to you. When you're talking to a camera, it's just, it's just an inanimate object, right? But it does feel as though you are talking to somebody else. And I try and, uh, treat it as such, right? So there's a, there's a comfort for me that comes. It feels like the camera is my my hunting buddy out there, and it's annoying to film yourself hunting. Uh, to be totally honest about it, it's not easy or necessarily that much fun. But I do enjoy telling the story about a hunt or a place that I that is important to me, and when other people can relate to that, that's to me that I, I get fulfillment in that or I find fulfillment in that. Um, so. Mm -hmm. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. 
For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/waypoint. That is mintmobile.com/waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Two of the films that I like the most, my wife, um, she's pretty, I wouldn't say judgmental. Uh, I wouldn't even say critical, but she knows what she likes and she's not afraid to say, hey, I don't, I like this or I don't like this. But she really liked your, um, the hunting the wild places. You did uh, an episode in the Frank and then uh, Yellowstone too. You uh, incorporated more of the, uh, the history of that so you can get a better sense of rather than just me extracting a resource from this area you gave in some of the uh some of the background of it um how did the ha- telling the story of a place how important is the is that for for you to not just say hey this is where i'm hunting this is also the background and this is why it still exists the way it does the um i mean we let me back up here. We got in, I got into filmmaking because I was more interested in telling stories about places than, uh, than anything else, because that connection to place is what I've always uh, appreciated about hunting. And I, I usually will tell people like there is I guarantee you, if you ask people to think about their favorite place that they have hunted, grew up hunting or like to hunt in, Almost everybody, like instantaneously, is going to say like they're going to, their mind is going to go directly to their favorite place. So connection to place is a part of hunting. Connection to many places is a part of hunting for a lot of people. So yeah, for me, it's it's incredibly important. Connection to wild wilderness, big wild country, is what I love the most, and that's what is the most important to me and why we started the filmmaking. Um, to be honest with you, when we made that Frank film, it was, I thought it was going to be more controversial than it was because the idea of setting aside large tracts of land to not be developed, set aside as wilderness, you know, it, it can be controversial at times. I think it's really important. I think it's important for hunting. It's important to me personally. Um, and I expected that film, I expected to hear from people that we're going to, have a different opinion than I do. Um, I had heard from zero people, like zero. It, it shocked me with how many views that film has. Um, the, you know, the other thing that's, that's interesting about that film is I, I wanted to tell, so I, I knew Frank Church. Uh, if you watch that film, Frank Church is a senator from Idaho who uh, helped uh, uh, designate the Frank Church River, River of No Return Wilderness, which is an iconic wilderness in the lower 48. I knew his wife. Uh, his widow or uh, Bethine Church, she was uh, a powerful, powerful person. And Frank was a powerful person. I didn't know him, um, but I knew the story of him. And I wanted people to understand that these things don't happen by accident. Nothing 
none of the places that we have these wild places happen by default or by accident and i really wanted to make sure that was understood that people understood that that you have these really influential people in history in our history that have worked to protect places and that's happening today too right and these things are controversial when they're they're happening the designation of the central idaho wilderness act which then became the frank church wilderness was a hot topic in its day real strong opinions on both sides of that issue today nobody cares mm. for the most part everyone's just like glad we got it mm -hmm. but in the moment it, it's a real hot topic there are parallels about that with our modern day life and i don't know that anybody makes that leap but i hope they do that was a hope with the film that people would understand that conservation uh is about the future and it's about you know taking care of what you got today for the future um, and we tried to do that while telling the story of Frank uh, Church as a person. Um, so I still get emotional when I think about it because it's um, the only thing I took shit for was uh, I took shit for people saying for me getting emotional about Frank Church. I have zero tolerance for that, though. I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> there's definitely a macho thing in our culture. Mm. So, yeah, there's a whole bunch of pre-scripted things that we can say about gratitude, but then there's actual gratitude and being so thankful for this, you know, to get that shot at the very end or the, the hashtag blessed on the Instagram posts. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, I am, but it's it's the most readily available for us. Um, yeah, so I think that gratitude and just being really appreciative of those experiences is something that's important. Uh, speaking of gratitude, that Yellowstone one, I've read, I've read a couple of books about the Yellowstone and how unbelievably close we were to losing bison and how Yellowstone ended up being this massive historical last stand for, I think that's the name of the book that I read too, um, for some of these species, because it was that take, take, take mentality and had no idea about what the consequences were, had no idea of the, the scope of slaughter. Um, and then also there was a, an awareness of the slaughter and, and what the purpose was for, um, but just how close things were so long ago from, from us losing, um, uh, the resources it was that was it's pretty crazy and and to appreciate Yellowstone you have to kind of know that background otherwise it's a really cool place to go and see but the history just makes it, it you just have to know it yeah absolutely I mean most people don't realize that most of our modern day elk populations across the lower 48 come from Yellowstone probably the elk that you have on some of the islands up in Alaska are descendants of Yellowstone herds um there's probably somebody out there listening to me who's going to correct me on some of this, but you know, there are, there are plenty of records of elk being trucked by, you know, truck taken by train to repopulate areas where they had been almost extirpated locally. And so Yellowstone is, yeah, I have conflicting feelings about Yellowstone. You're right. It's like the park system is a bit of an amusement park type approach to conservation. Like it's kind of silly in some ways but you have to respect and appreciate it for what it did and what it continues to do. And so there's this, I have like mixed feelings about it. Do I love going to a crowded national park? Like, no, absolutely not. It's anathema to everything that I like about <laughs> recreating. It's like, I like getting away from people, not going to hordes of people, but it's, it's phenomenal for what it did. The, the history of Yellowstone cannot be denied for what it has done for modern day hunting opportunities. If you hunt elk, you should be thanking Yellowstone National Park designation, frankly, um, which is interesting, right? Because you can't hunt in parks mm -hmm. <laughs> most parts. Yeah. So this duality, but the history is, is quite fascinating. 
Um, and there's a lot of land, like we talked about in the film, that's outside of the park, but that is a part of that ecosystem that you can hunt in and that is still, you know, you can hunt it. It's a part of the conservation success story of that place. And it is remarkable that in the United States, we were able to have the forethought and we're lucky to have people like Teddy Roosevelt. Had we not had an interesting thought experiment to think about what it had, what would have happened if Teddy Roosevelt wasn't president at that time? Mm-hmm. I don't know what our modern day hunting world would look like had he not been around at that time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's anyways, this is, <laughs> this is, these are the things that I think about, Jeff. No, I, I think uh, it ha- at some point uh, for many hunters, you, I don't want to say mature into this because it, implies maybe that when you start off you don't know anything but you really don't kind of know anything you kind of this is a cool thing to do and then you kind of look at the entire scope um and these sort of things are are popping up in alaska to a somewhat different degree because we've established these systems and what we're going to protect we're protecting land but with the 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 scale of resources that we need and then the dependency of, of people on those resources it's um it's difficult because you don't have opportunities for people to just get new jobs. If the, if the timber industry goes out like it did in some of these Southeast Alaska areas, it's so it's like, all right, well, you know, we, we, we have to keep the habitat hundred percent for sure. Um, but at the same time, you know, what about the families who can't just drive and commute to a new community for a new job? They're on a different Island. And if the industry goes out, who's going to move in. So if you're trying to sell your house, who are you going to sell it to? And so you don't have the money to then move your family to a new location for the new job. So it's super, super complex. Um, and yeah, I mean, no answers here at, at all, but, uh, just, we want to preserve these things, but also make it uh, beneficial. So it's hard to just be in, in one camp. It's that, that middle line is just, I and I'm glad I don't have to make those decisions as well. I'll never be a politician. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think that, uh, you know, I, I certainly, I'm, I'm a pragmatist at heart and I think you can have, you can have both things, right? It's not, life is not an all or nothing conservation and is not an all or nothing. Um, I don't, I don't believe in extremes as a person. Um, I think you can have, you know, we all use resources. If you, if you, you know, use toilet paper or, or a phone, right? These are all like mm-hmm. there's minerals and all these things. There's, there's natural resources and all these things. To me, the, the false, uh, reality that gets put up oftentimes by people is like, you can have one or the other, but you mm-hmm. can't have both. And I just don't buy that. I think you can have both. And I think you can do, you can have, you know, not to make this a political thing, but I think you can, you can do both and you can, you can conserve species. You can have good fish habitat in Southeast Alaska and a healthy timber industry. I don't think those two things are necessarily have to be incompatible. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be naive. I think some people say that's naive. I say, you're just not trying hard enough if you can't figure out how to make those, those two things coexist. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Well, there, we've seen some shifts. Um, one of the Sea uh, Alaska Native Corporations, they've shifted from uh, a lot of timber, which was their, their mega uh, moneymaker mm-hmm. in, the, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, uh, was logging. And now they've shifted a lot to, uh, to kelp. Um, and so just, you know, emerging industries, aquaculture is, is a great way to pivot. So like you said, it doesn't have to be one or the other. And yeah, those extremes are so funny because on the one side, um, you want to kill all the caribou and just shoot them with oil and 
The other extreme is, you know, you're supporting cobalt mines and child slavery because you want electric batteries. It's like, no, no, that's not, those don't, <laughs> those aren't the two options, man. There's, there's a lot of things in the middle here, a lot of things that can be discussed, but, uh, middle. So, yeah. uh, anyway, anyway. Yeah, I'm, I don't mean to get political on you. So no, no, thinking, no. Like, it's a, the world that happens in the middle and there's a lot of nuance and I, uh, extremes are frustrating thing mm-hmm. for, I think people just need to like listen to each other and really like try and figure out, uh, you know, solutions to these complex problems rather than take some sort of, you know, political stand on them. Yeah. There's a lot of practical solutions. So. Anyways. So when you Let's are when you are making a film, this is a segue out of it, but still somewhat related. When you are making a film about an area, how much, I guess, responsibility maybe do you feel to provide at least a little bit of a context before you kind of move on? So I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on this briefly, just so people kind of know, or I don't even want to get into it. I mean, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to to go into any sort of the politics. But how much of that context do you do? You, add to your your films or feel obligated to add to your films when you uh what do you mean by sorry can you say a little bit more about that so if um if you're you're, you're telling a story of a place and if that place is being threatened by something or it has a fragile ecosystem or or something like that how much of that do, do you feel obligated to incorporate into your films as part of the story of the place i try really hard not to get political about things and just present the facts about uh, something I don't ever want us or me or our brand to be associated as a, a, a taking a side. And I feel like so much of our today's world is about taking sides. Mm-hmm. I think that most people, no, most people, I would say most hunters identify as conservationists. And that is something that, that binds us um, as hunters. We care about the resources and the places that we hunt. And this has come back to the importance of place to me. Um, uh, I don't, I don't know that I would frame it as feeling responsibility so much as it is. I want people to be aware as much as they can about the issues that are happening in some of the places around, uh, <laughs> around the, the country or maybe around the globe. Um, I don't. I, we try really hard, and I think you see this in the Frank film, is that we, I don't want people to feel as though they're being lectured to, mm. ever. I don't like being lectured to, and I don't, nobody likes being lectured to. Um, I think you can talk about the values of a place simply by talking about the values of a place and let people come to their own conclusion about how they feel about the issues, the things that may affect those values. So, for example, um, if I'm, you know, if we're making a film that is about the Yellowstone country or the sky islands in Arizona are a good example. Um, we didn't, we didn't go into great detail about habitat fragmentation in the sky islands, but it's a massive issue. It's a huge issue. Um, but I didn't, we didn't want to make it a political film. I'm not trying to make a political mm-hmm. film. So if people come away from watching these films and it influences <laughs> their their opinion on on some of the conservation issues like zero to you know or not at all that's fine some people might come to a different conclusion and i i don't want to preordain how people the impression that they come away with when they watch one of our pieces of content i want them to take away from it what they want that's intentional and if you if we're very conscious that if we try and get too uh lectury or preachy 
which I don't, I will, will never do, that there is a potential side effect to that. The same time, let me, so I say that, um, so I feel some responsibility, but I also want people to take away from what they want. We are a mission-driven company. So we, yes, we make the, the gear side of our business. That's our business, right? But the storytelling side of our business, we, that is a, something we do because we care about it. We're not just, we're not, a, we don't fit neatly into a box or our company or our brand, as you said. And so I'm not afraid to tell a story, uh, that has things that might upset people. Mm-hmm. Frank Church is a good example. I fully expected people to be mad about that. And, uh, there probably were, um, people that don't like wilderness. I just, I didn't hear from them yelling. I didn't hear them yelling at me, but it might have offended some people. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, I don't know if that makes sense, but we're no, trying I, to do sort of both of those things in concert. No, I think that, that there's some great sound bites in there. And I think that's an important thing. Anytime anybody's being creative in the space, it's not just about being blanket positive or blanket negative. There's a lot of things that, that kind of need to be said, talked about. And if you want to go into depth, you can. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's something that's, these elements are, are conversations that, that should be had. Um, and then when you are making, you know, whether it be writing or filmmaking or having a business, like, where do I want to stand? Do I want to just signal? Do I want to incorporate a little bit? Do I want to touch on stuff or do I want to stay totally clear? And that's, it's up to you. There's not a responsibility. There's not a, you know, a mandate or anything like that, that you have to, to have all these things in there. Um, as far as length goes, uh, do you shoot for 15 minutes, 40 minutes or anything like that? Or is it just, uh, I'm going to come home with actually i don't know how many hours of, of film or of, of of footage you come home with but uh how does the story develop lengthwise mm, question uh there is a noticeable drop off in people's attention span with longer form content so we we generally we don't set a, a time on any one piece of content like it's got to hit x amount of time unless there's a very specific reason to do so, like we're trying to get into a film festival and they won't allow us to make a film above a certain length. Generally though, our rule of thumb is it can be as long as it is good. No fluff, no filler, nothing. And I might rule of thumb is like, does it, does my attention ever start to wander? Mm-hmm. And if it starts to wander at any particular moment, then we, we have to rearrange that section. There's something about that that needs to be fixed. So, but no, we don't, necessarily prescribe a length, but I will say that like, if, I, I would be lying if I said we aren't fully aware that anything over 25 minutes starts to get too long for most people. But I fully, uh, we're working on a project now, a film project that might go well beyond that. Kind of depends on the content and the story, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just generally, do we pay attention to it? Yes, but we're not, we don't edit to say we've got to hit a certain range of as long as it is good yeah when you watch a movie everything is written everything is scripted and everything is built in such a way to tell the story and sometimes movies drag on a little bit but everything is building to some sort of plot one of the main parts of a hunt is just that waiting so it's a it's a weird thing to i've watched a couple films where it was 45 minutes and it was awesome because everything was just they, they were able to to show that Sometimes you just have to wait, and sometimes it is a waiting game. But there's enough suspense, there's enough conflict to kind of get things going, so you don't want to skip forward. And I've seen 30-minute films that could have been 10, where it was just, oh, this is boring. And it's again, I don't, I don't really exactly know what it is, but um, 
you kind of got to go by feel. Like, I, I, I need this to provide context or to help build a story versus this is frivolous, this is redundant, this is too much, it's going to be too long. Yeah, it's that's the magic of the edit. And some people are really good at that. That's where, I, you know, Jason, my business partner, he's the magician behind the editing. Um, we do a lot of it together, um, but he's really good at it. And some people are really good at it. But also, as a gut feeling, I know exactly what you're talking about. There are some pieces I've tried to watch that are like an hour, over an hour long. And I'm just like, God, this is like, when I get to a scene where, I, if you ever find yourself fast forwarding through a scene, that is a telltale sign that your tension span has wandered. Hmm. Or you find it going too slow. And when you're creating content, you should know where those spots are. Yeah, it's super important. The YouTube, like whatever tracker thing where you can kind of scroll on the bottom and you can see where where people um, stop watching. Do you ever kind of look at that now and think, oh, well, you know, I should cut this or I should do this or like, no, I like the entire story. The entire story needs that. So I don't care that, you know, most people were clicking out after minute 18 or whatever. Do you look at some of those analytics and is that to inform (laughs) your decision? I look at the analytics. It never, it doesn't inform how we, like I would never retroactively go back and change a piece, but I do pay attention to it. What I have noticed is after you kill something, people stop paying attention. So most people just like watch up to you, kill something. They're like, all right, moving on. Um, So, you know, when it comes to film, what, what I take away from that is you have to think of ways to keep the story interesting after the kill. So, Yes, it informs the edit. So like if in our Frank Church, Last Wild Places film, we kill two animals sort of towards the end, but kind of in the middle. Our drop-off rate after that film is, is uh, not that significant after that, that part of the film because we found a way to, to keep it interesting and keep people around like real quickly. So we actually spent a lot of time on that is thinking through most traditional hunting media. They build up to a kill and then they quickly end it. Now, that's the traditional standard format. We do that sometimes with our episodic content, but with our films, we try not to have the entire story hinge on that, even though it's hard because it's a hunting film. Mm-hmm. That is the climax of the story. So for, for most pieces of content. Uh, so yeah, that is a challenge when you're editing, for sure. When you talk about episodes and movies too, like you get to the climax and the falling action is pretty short. And then your resolution notes within what, five minutes or something like that. It, it has to work in that formula. But as hunters, we know that the climax, you, you got that, you got the animal or you didn't, you're heading home. But some of the coolest moments, it's not all just about how horrible the pack out is. A lot of times it is yeah. those moments when you're, you know, you're cooking the heart or you're doing that. It's that, that enjoyment and how that kind of lasts a little bit. And so I don't, I think if it, if done right, you can, I wouldn't say drag it out, but you can have some really cool, important shots um, of the going home part, just enjoying in it. And, and it doesn't have to just, uh, uh, to just yeah. end your Frank one was cool because you had the, the drama of the, of the rapids and whatnot. If you're going to, uh, yeah. what, what was going to happen there? And I was, I was, Oh, this is, it's, it looks fun, but uh, yeah. also kind of, kind of sketchy. It was a little sketchy to be honest with you. Um, and yeah, that's the the art of the edit. And there, though, unfortunately, though, every you know any any like serious content creator also knows that YouTube essentially penalizes you if people drop off before the last thirty seconds of your film or your content. And so, if you, if you have a serious drop off rate, 
YouTube will like deprioritize your content mm. or that particular piece of content. So it's it's uh in some ways if it's YouTube is the primary medium by which you're trying to get exposure, you have to play by their rules in a bit, uh, uh, a little bit, or else you can't just say ah uh, I'm I'm an artist I'm gonna do what I want. Yeah. And like, well, you know YouTube is in charge. And yeah, you have to play by their rules. Yeah, um, the social media has adds such an interesting element to it too with uh, reels and yeah, and with uh, TikTok reels of uh, or Instagram reels of, of hunts and whatnot. And I think that's such a, I don't know how I feel about that. It's kind of a cool little highlight of, of something, but to try to get an entire, I hope hunts don't end up being becoming just this fragmented 20 second hunt type thing. Um, if it's yeah. like a, I don't know, parts, there's, there's, a, there's a place for that for sure. But uh, I really hope that people don't turn into just, trashy um teenage scrolly type uh storytelling <laughs> i hope so i hope not too i hope that to me reels are an opportunity to, to draw people into the longer story and that's the way we treat them we're trying to do more or we're honestly probably not as great as we're doing as we can right now about showing reels but um we're trying to get better about that mm-hmm. yeah so with all the content that we're going to start releasing actually uh let's see, today actually our first, our first uh, piece of content from last year drops today. Um, we're trying to get better about showing clips from the content as a way, reels, I should say, to uh, engage people in the, uh, in the in the actual full story. Yeah, you have to be so precise because you don't have much time. You got to be really, really good. And I think people mistake the fact that oh, you only have to do you know thirty seconds. Well, that means that if I have a lot of content, it's got to be the right thirty seconds or fifteen seconds or however long a reel can be. You've got to nail it. It's got to be good. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Yeah, true. So, uh, what's next with uh, Argali? What do you got planned for this spring, uh, content-wise, release-wise, hunt-wise? So we're, we are trying to phase, phase release most, more of our content from last year. So we're just getting ready to release content this week and we're going to spread out our content kind of throughout the spring, summer and fall just to try and play around with uh, getting eyeballs on content. One of the, one of the things that I've, I think we've found is that especially in the last like couple years, there's just a lot, a lot, a lot of content getting released on YouTube, which is uh, good. It's a democratization of hunting content via YouTube, just which again is a good thing. Uh, but some of our content pieces that I really like and think should be get more eyeballs than they they have, um, I think it's we think it's part of that is just timing. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna play around sort of the timing of the release of some of our content this year. I. Uh, so anyway, so we're going to start, we've got a lot of big game. We had a lot of really good stuff last year that we're going to release this year. And then this year we're really trying to, I don't know, increase about 50% the amount of content that we film. So in the past, it's just been largely been uh, Jason, my business partner and I, uh, in content with a little bit from my brothers and my couple friends uh, of mine. This year we're going to have uh, uh, my friend uh, Charlie Cronk. And uh, my brother Curtis are probably going to have their own content pieces that where they're just by themselves, um, where I won't be in it. Um, they're both. If you've watched any of our content, you know both of those people have been in our content over the years. And my brother Curtis, in particular, people always want to see more of him. He's got the big mustache, 
you watch any of our content, people know who he is. <laughs> he's just, he is the kind of person that everybody wants to hunt with and hang out with. Um, why he's such a well-liked guy. He's very, very relatable. So anyway, so we're going to try and film a lot this year. I have a lot of archery hunts this year all over the place and a few uh, rifle hunts, but mostly archery hunts this year. So yeah, that's kind of the plan on the content side of things. Uh, try and do a little bit more. And we're doing this one big, big film project that I mentioned, which is a really personal story for me that we've already started filming this year. We're going to film throughout the spring, summer, and then uh, early part of the fall. And I'm really curious to see how that one does because it's, it's a, it's a little bit, it's a hunting film, but it's different than anything we've done to date in terms of the story. That's cool. Yeah. Like you said, you can only tell your own story and it's, it's all unique. And so what you, what you think is probably something that someone else is thinking about, but with your unique angles, that's cool. Uh, so where can people find you? Where can they watch uh, the archives and, and kind of do some binge watching of, uh, of your stuff and follow you on and look forward to your Instagram reels. <laughs> uh, you can find us, our, our YouTube is just, uh, Argali official, same thing on Instagram, uh, Argali underscore official. You can check out all the, all the reels to come for all the people <laughs> that waiting with bated breath. Yeah. Are you going to go reels and TikTok or just reels? I just, uh, I just reels right now. I, we, we keep talking about doing TikTok and then I keep, I just saw something this morning in the news headline that president might ban TikTok. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's just like good PR for TikTok and it's going to be around or if it's going away. I can't quite tell. Well, it's filtered through the Chinese government, man. And it's just the more <laughs> stuff I read about it. And I'm like, oh, gosh, this is crazy. During my science fiction lit class last semester, we talked about uh, espionage. We talked about all that. And we talked about access to our, you know, if, if they make a massive database about all of our interactions and how the Chinese government can influence us and a total rabbit hole with those kids. And some of them were like, Mr. Lund's crazy. He should wear a tinfoil hat. But I was you know, trying to make stuff relatable. So really? I, yeah. I, I it, it, it's crazy. So, uh, yeah, but, you know, whatever you choose to do. Uh, you haven't watched the uh, TV show The Americans. And then uh, oh, is that crazy. the Russian spy one? Yeah. So yeah. good. Yeah. Such a great. <laughs> we we uh, we read but don't watch 1984 and uh, Fahrenheit 451. And uh, that, that gets them pretty good. But uh, uh, what about the ordering stuff? Where can people go to order the game bags or knives or uh, tents or anything like that? Uh, our website, uh, argaliaoutdoors.com. So they can okay. find that. And that's probably linked up in the Instagram and all that stuff too. Uh, yes. Yep. All all the links all the time on any, any <laughs> social channel you go to. You can find a way to get to our website. Cool. Awesome, man. Thanks. Appreciate your time. Uh, take care and uh, look forward to seeing what you put out. Thanks, Jeff. Good to chat with you. Yeah, you too. Later.